Welcome to Health System CIO's podcast interview with Ray Lowe, CIO at Ultimed Health Services. In part one, Lowe talks about how having close ties to the community has put Ultimed in a unique position to educate and care for patients. The tremendous opportunity we have to leverage AI to provide individualized care and why differentiation of severity is so critical in addressing patient needs. We'll get to our interview in a moment, but first, a brief word from our sponsor. At CrowdStrike, we stop breaches, and since threat actors often show up with legitimate credentials, stopping them can be tough, especially if your Active Directory hygiene has been less than perfect. But you can secure Active Directory now and clean up later. Find out more about identity protection and AD hardening at CrowdStrike.com healthcare. So wanted to start by talking about health inequity and the impact that COVID had. I mean, this is not a new thing. This has unfortunately been around for a while, but COVID seems to have really intensified it. So wanted to kind of get your thoughts on that first. Yeah, so when you talk about uh, health inequity and then COVID, um, um, ultimate social justice is at our at our core. And so we actually serve, again, the Medicaid population in some of the lowest income parts of Los Angeles and Orange County. And so when you looked at who was not really getting their vaccinations, it was Latinos and African-Americans. And we actually, because they're so involved in the community and we're known in the community and we're working closely with CBOs or community-based organizations, we actually were kind of in a unique position to help turn and educate the essential worker patient population around and bring them in and, and set up vaccination clinics. You know, there was a lot of distrust around the vaccine, mm, myth yeah. and legend, what it can and cannot do, what would be the side effects around there. And so taking even further, coming out of, out of the pandemic in the state of California, there was a program called Andele Que Esperza which means let's go, you know, don't wait, right? What are you waiting for? And Ultimate was actually selected by the state to create this state campaign, primarily focused on Latino and Spanish speaking population to encourage them to get shots. And it's been broadly used in the central parts of the state and other parts of the state as well. So our impact has been local. And it has also been statewide to leverage, you know, the type of information and outreach that we have out there. And then that's again linking us to other community organizations, whether they be FQHCs, community clinics, et cetera, out there in order again to really support, right, the further shot uses of, for COVID, you know, and vaccinations. Yeah. So what do you think it was about this campaign that kind of helped break through or reach people? You know, I, I think being a community-based organization and being trusted in the community, that trust is so important because, again, folks that are, are maybe not natively English speakers, who do they trust and how do you create that trust, right? So it's, it's that presence in there. I think I've, in other talks, I've talked about the social vulnerability index, which actually it's known you can do an overlay in terms of, of zip codes, right? And it shows you where the most vulnerable populations are. And, that, and, there, and there are definitely SDOHs in there, whether they be food insecurities, healthcare, education, or economics within that aspect. So again, what Ultimed did is we have an overlay of, again, Los Angeles and Orange County. And, and ironically, the patient population we serve 
are in there. So through our government affairs, working with the local governments, CBOs, community-based organizations, uh, churches, et cetera, you know, we're, we're able to, you know, be a trusted source and then work through, uh, again, working on vaccinations and helping those become more available. Okay. So at least a, a good part of it comes from the fact that, you know, ultimately, as you said, is so immersed in the community. And that's maybe that's something that's a challenge for some of the other organizations that, you know, they have the resources, but they don't necessarily have that familiarity or, or trust from the community. I agree. I agree. You know, it's like in our story, we've really moved from just providing access, not, you know, being a value-based care organization in this, you know, last three-year journey of our digital transformation and, and outreach. Um, I mean, if, if you think about it from a care perspective, two years ago or before the pandemic, we weren't able to do video visits around there. And mm-hmm. again, when you're looking at essential workers, traditionally, you may have had to take three buses in order to get to the clinic, right? If they have a sick kid, yeah. et cetera. And now we can do it all virtually. It, it's, it's a great equalizer in terms of health equity, you know, and providing care, multiple new ways of access to the, again, lower income populations. Tell us, you know, again, it's here to stay around there, but we've opened up those opportunities again for populations that, you know, weren't able to receive it before. Yeah, I would imagine that, you know, you you have low-income patients. So the challenge, of course, comes up with digital devices, with broadband, things like that, or Wi-Fi, I should say. Right. You know, and there's a lot of public policy out there. There are bills out there that are supposed to be addressing the digital divide and ubiquity of broadband, et cetera. There, there's a lot of legislation and there's money coming out to help close it. You know, directionally, it looks correct, right there, but we got to see where those broadband bills end up and how they actually get instantiated, right, to, to support the communities. When you gave the example of somebody who has to take, for example, three buses to get to an appointment, now being able to use virtual, I guess it's going to take some time, but you start to see those results fairly quickly. It's being more likely to attend appointments and, and follow up, or is that just really early in the game to know that? No, no, I, I think we've definitely seen it. I mean, we, we still maintain probably about 30% of our visits are still telephonic or televideo. And you add that on top of our in-person visits that we provide as well. So our access numbers have actually increased in terms of our volume, in terms of how many you know mm-hmm. patients we're seeing, almost 400,000 lives is the uh, number of folks that we're touching over a million visits a year. And it's, it's kind of a combination of the two that allows you to get there. Right. This just speaks to um, the digital first strategy. I know that, that I've seen that before and that you've talked about it. So this, that's just a component of, you know, really what has been a, a larger strategy. Yeah, it is. I think, you know, from an innovation perspective, I was in a HEMS conversation with Shez Partovi, who is Chief Innovation Strategy Officer over at Phillips, right? He described three lifts to innovation. You know, one is digital innovation, doing it faster, cheaper, better, which many of us do organically. Number two is things that you want to do that are just out of your reach. So again, I think a lot of the tele stuff we're talking about is kind of level two, but then you really get transformation on the third level is when you can do things that you never thought you could do. And that's really kind of game changing. When you look at like the RPM, you look at the tele, et cetera, those type of activities, I put are more like kind of like level two and they do improve yeah. like the overall quality of the patient, provides you more patient-centric care. But then now we're talking about real transformation. You know, I think there's a very ripe opportunity in the SDOH space because I don't know that everybody understands it. You kind of mentioned at the beginning, people mm-hmm. are putting their toe in the water 
an SDOH. Right. And there's a, I think a belief in many hospital systems that we're using, you know, Ampertha or Unitas, and we're checking some screening questions that we're doing the right thing around SDOH. And, and I think that's a bit of a misnomer. When you look at, you know, the social determinants of health, you know, you, you have to keep the individual needs in terms of the spectrum of what your services you're trying to provide. Right. So, you know, like community-based organizations are operating at capacity and, and there's still not enough to be met. A prime example would be on food banks because we can't end hunger just along with food banks. We know that's, that's true as well. Right. When we look at what is the individual needs around there and we, and we have a chronic condition and say we're talking to somebody with end state renal disease, the clinical protocols would be different from somebody with initial abnormal kidney but they both have a, uh, a disease tied, tied to the kidney. And if you put that in a different perspective and you look at it from an SCOH perspective and, and housing and security, how do we differentiate when we're talking to a patient with an eviction versus an initial landlord-tenant dispute, right? That's kind of another spectrum when you're looking kind of mm-hmm. at an SCOH you know, perspective and how do you address that? How do we have the intelligence you know, tied to that? So. There is, like you said, there's that ripe opportunity in the space. And, and what do you think um, can be done to kind of move that to the next level? When you look at social determinants, I want I a little more context, if you don't mind, Kate, mm-hmm. on this. I think I like to think like three concentric circles. And, and I'm working really closely with Dr. Ratchin Sonic, who's a director of research at, at the Ultimate Health Equity Institute, you know, and we're looking at social determinants as with three concentric circles or three overlapping kind of end diagrams. The first part is, you know, what is community prevalence and importance, which is really tied to patient surveys, kind of stakeholders, you know, and there's some literature out there. The second one is what's the effect on healthcare from a quality ED and inpatient perspective. And this is where now we're starting to link EHR and claims data, the patient survey data, more clinic stakeholder interviews, and again, more literature. And the third one, which is actionable, which is now when we're, you know, putting our toe in the water, to use your language, around United, mm-hmm. Unitas and Ambertha, you know, tied to interviews with kind of stakeholders. But now we're also getting a little further in to what's happening with legal aid, you know, and community partners. So I think in terms of what actions are, we're, we're really just getting started in terms of using Ambertha and Unitas. But how do we take that further, right? How do we have the data ability to understand and address your patient needs and make it individual for them? Right. Yeah, that's such a big part of it. And there's a lot of coordination that has to happen, um, which I'm really thinking has been one of the barriers so far. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I I think kind of the current model, you know, is that when a, um, a patient is trying to make an appointment, there's some basic data that's collected that's you know, input into the EMR system. And there may or may not be customized SDOH screening tied to it. That may occur in a, a different area around there. But I think where we get to the more individualized SDOH aspect is you know, using ML and AI, machine learning and artificial intelligence, that we actually can identify the severity. Again, we kind of used the housing example earlier, but if we can have a positive screening that the knee type is on the housing food severity, or if they don't actually need a referral for help, we know what the action is that's needed to be taken or though we can help, help the patient, right? That differentiation of severity 
is so important as you're trying to address you know, the, the patient's needs in these areas. Thank you for listening to this podcast from healthsystemcio.com. To hear other podcasts, visit our website or subscribe to our account in iTunes at healthsystemcio.com backslash podcast.